0: Hi, I'm Matt Ward. And welcome to episode eight of the Running Industry Podcast.
1: From a physio point of view, it's great to be around it and see it and, and hopefully support the process and the system. It's not perfect, there's, there's definitely work that could be done, and every every job has its challenges, but the bottom line is it's it's a privileged existence and, and if endurance running continues to thrive, then that for me is is fantastic.
0: Well, hopefully, if you're a regular listener to this first season of the Running Industry podcast, you'll know that we've had a broad range of guests, all playing a part in the rich tapestry of the industry. Runners often need support in the form of physiotherapy and coaching. So in today's podcast, I'm excited to be talking to the lead endurance physiotherapist for British athletics, Andy Walling. Andy's career to date has seen him as the lead endurance physiotherapist for athletics and Team GB spanning two Olympic cycles of Rio and Tokyo. He also spent four and a half years as a senior physiotherapist for the English Institute of Sport. He's also worked on the British Olympic Association at the Intensive Rehabilitation Unit, providing care for all summer and winter and Paralympic sports. He's also a qualified athletics coach He's a 347 1500 meter runner, has a PhD in history, and in this last couple of years has been a physio to none other than Samo Farah.
1: I've actually treated Mo since I think 2011. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure to work with. He's a really humble, hardworking individual, and his dedication and what he's achieved is incredible, isn't it? He's been he's been at this game a, a long time. He's got quite a lot of miles on the clock. From a from a physio point of view, I guess that's that's a, a little bit of a
0: challenge. Thanks very much for tuning in to this week's episode. You can follow us on social media at Run Industry. And remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For now, though, on with the show, as I speak to this week's guest, Andy Walling. Andy, that's quite an introduction. Thanks for joining me today.
1: (laughs) It was quite an introduction, yeah. Um, I didn't realise some of that stuff, to be honest with you.
0: All of it true, of course
1: <laughs> all true, all true
0: Let's just start off by giving you a chance to talk and uh, tell us a little bit about your home life, where you live these days, and how life has been in this very odd year of 2020
1: yeah it's been it's been a really challenging year hasn't it for for everyone um so i'm i'm a, I'm, I'm going to say I'm a Salford lad first, so I can get my uh, my northern roots in there but i'm I'm currently living in leafy Buckinghamshire. I I live. Um, I, I moved here because of the intensive rehab job that I got for the British Olympic Association. So that prompted the move from North Wales, where I'd lived for, for twenty years as well, and where i pretty much started doing my coaching and stuff and then yeah i i, I live in um, a really nice place where i back onto to woodland with trails and, and and so it's for me now it's 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 incredible it's really it's uh it's it's pretty different to the urban jungle i grew up in but yeah i can get out on trails and run for miles here with with my family my kids are now both at secondary school so i've got two girls this year, for everyone, it's been it's been a little bit odd of not getting out and about as much. And, and I, I've probably spent a bit more time at home as well as a result of that. But I have been able to, to like I said, just, just get out and run anytime I want, in my, almost in my back garden. So it's not been too bad.
0: I'm going to jump straight in now, Andy, and get right into your line of work. I know that a lot of people, obviously, in this year of coronavirus have struggled work-wise, not necessarily with the amount of work, but in actually how they conduct their work as a physio you've had a really difficult year in trying to juggle things and give people the treatment that they need, shall we say. How has it been operating in your world during the coronavirus pandemic?
1: Pretty much impossible for a period of time where we we obviously weren't allowed any face-to-face contact with athletes. And this was still at the time. So the guys I'm working with are still at this point preparing for an Olympics. The Olympics is still in theory going ahead. Um, so th- there was there was pressure on um and and then once once that disappeared as well and and there was no olympics that it was a it was obviously a very different feel but athletes still wanted to train and they were still hoping that events would go on and races would happen and and it's their job it's their livelihood and the the key focus was taken away but it was really challenging, so i mean we 're zooming now and 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 that's you know everyone 's a bit zoomed out, I think at the moment, but mm. actually for me, being able to have regular conversations with the athletes uh, and, and and some zoom stuff was was really important and British athletics did a series of things as well where it would be yeah some foam rolling stuff or some some you know some mobility stuff or some some circuit work or whatever it might be to try and maintain contact with athletes and and, and keep uh, keep a dialogue with them. And then there would be, so that could be done as a group thing. And, and then you'd also have your, your one-to-one conversations and phone calls and just trying to keep in touch with people and check in on them as much as anything as well, because... As I alluded to before, that 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 process of being told that the thing that you've been focused on for, yes, a four year cycle, but longer than that, really, as, as an Olympic target. Anyone who's involved in sport knows that the Olympics is the pinnacle and that's, that's where you really aspire to be. And so so it, for, for a lot of people, it's, it's been something that they focused on from when they first got involved in sport at whatever age. So it was a, a huge challenge for, for the athletes to... Sort of put that aside, and all the uncertainty, and you can't do your job, and there's a global pandemic, and how much can you complain about the fact that you can't run around a track? Or I think it, I think it was quite difficult for them.
0: Yeah, and you have been able to eventually get to a point where you are treating some of the um, some of the top athletes in the UK. I guess with them not being able to race as well, yeah, it's been a really different kind of therapy, hasn't it?
1: yeah the nice thing here is that as part of uh, either when i was at the british olympic association where it was injuries all the time and that's that's a very challenging position to be in as an athlete when 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 you can't do what you want to do so similar in a sense to this to the to the coronavirus period where they couldn't do what they wanted to do um, but we've got you know the support of sports psychologists and um, and and you can lean on those people and and those people obviously have interactions and relationships with the athletes I think as a as a physio you normally in that face-to-face environment that one-to-one athletes do tend to open up and they do tend to talk to you and so you you can have that um, awareness of how they're doing and how they're feeling at at any stage so then we kind of got to that phase where races started to open up and there were you know the the amount of red tape you wouldn't believe the red tape that was around so I, I went to Monaco to support the British athletes who were there but I wasn't allowed into the warm up track um I didn't go into the stadium so I was I was I was outside the hotel in a in a passage um, in a in a in a ginnel if you're from up north or an alleyway if you're southern so I was I was there with a couch and and, and treating the athletes pre um, but they were you know you had to have your tests done you had to be clear before you went and m- more recently as well just at the world half marathon champs we were we were tested in the week before we got there we were tested at the hotel when we arrived and we sat socially distant until until we got our results through with with all the other nations as well and it's just it's all been a little bit different and a little bit strange and i think pe- generally people have adapted well
0: in terms of treatment again they hadn't been used to racing did this so all of a sudden there was this kind of ramping wasn't it, where everyone was in lockdown and then all of a sudden a lot of these let's say funded and world-class athletes were then said okay you know the diamond league opens up we're going to be doing it it might be very different, but there's going to be these races. Did that present any problems um, physically for the athletes?
1: Yeah, it was because uh, obviously they couldn't access tracks for that period of time. So generally, for, for the endurance population, we we were quite lucky, weren't we? In, in that we could we could still get out and run. So you, you could run, you could still session on grass or on a disused railway line or a canal bank or whatever. You could you could get out and do some faster, harder stuff, but not on not on a track, not in spikes. The guys who went to Monaco, for example, as one of the earliest diamond leagues. It, Pretty much making making the debut. So Charlie Grice, that was his first fifteen hundred meter race of the season. He ran three thirty four. You, you, you know that's unheard of. You don't. That's that's not your first race of the season. The Monaco Diamond League. That's normally one of the bigger ones, isn't it? And you've and you've got a series of races under your belt. But they did have to ramp up reasonably quickly, and they're ramping up reasonably quickly off the back of not having had regular therapy, which they were used to. So um, there were some there were some pretty beaten up bodies. The nice thing is that these these elite athletes have have, um, a reasonable amount of resilience a lot of the time. We are talking about Formula One bodies and they they do need a tweak and you you do have to maintain them and and, and you can prepare them, you know, preparing the tissue and preparing the body to race. It it is an important aspect, but they did manage to absorb a reasonable amount of work.
0: Now you are the physio to none other than Mo Farah. How long have you been treating Mo and how does he differ, I suppose, when it comes to your average athlete, and when it comes to body maintenance?
1: Um, yeah, I, I've actually treated Mo since, I think, 2011. Not, 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 just, not just me, I haven't been his physio since that time, but that was when I first started treating Mo. It was actually um, an altitude camp in E10 um, in Kenya, Lorna Kiplagat's um base where, which which British athletics have used over over a number of years. And so that was the first time I treated him. Um and then the last couple of years obviously um I've been to Ethiopia a couple of times to work for when he's been at training camps and then font and then treating him on a on a more regular basis. Um and he's been you know it's been an absolute pleasure to work with. He's a really humble, hardworking individual and his dedication and what he's achieved is incredible, isn't it? So and, and actually he, he's pretty light in terms of treatment and what he needs, I think often it's just a case of just keeping him fresh and keeping him ticking over. Um, there, there have been a few more challenges, um, as I guess without you know he, he wouldn't mind me saying he's not he's Mo's Mo's getting on towards his, his late thirties now, and so he's been he's been at this game a, a long time. He's got quite a lot of miles on the clock. Probably he needs a little bit more recovery time and and there may be, it may be a little bit more difficult to sustain the level that he's been at so so from from a from a physio point of view i guess that's that's a little bit of a challenge essentially he tolerates he tolerates a lot of volume pretty well and the more he runs, almost the the it's almost it's just ingrained in the guy, and and he, he just he he just soaks up he soaks up the volume really well. And then there've been times where I've watched him train and watched him do sessions where it's like people would pay good money to come and watch this guy do that. It's some incredible stuff that I've seen him do, just super impressive. And and as a as a bit of an athletics anorak, it's yeah, it's a real privilege to watch him train.
0: You know, one thing I've always wondered, and not sure if other people have, but maybe it's the way that my mind works. What sort of thing do you talk about when you're rubbing away on his calf muscles or whatever?
1: You know, you just chat away about what you've been doing or what you know, nothing, nothing. I mean, I'm I'm probably when I'm treating someone like Mo, because of because of his journey, because of the life he's had, because of where he's been and what he's done. It so it's it's he's 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 quite interesting, isn't he? Just as just as a person, so. It's it's interesting to chat to him about his upbringing or what it was like when he first came to the country. And the guy's a family man, so he's got uh, there are there are four kids at the house, and um, you get to know them because you because you're treating him regularly. And Tanya, his wife, and so I wasn't in Brussels when he ran the world record for the hour, so it was nice to go and treat him when he came when he when he was back and so Well, what was it like, and how did it feel? And just broken Haile Gabriel Salassis' world record. It's it's it's, uh, it's his first world record. He's I, I, tr- I treat him in a room, Matt, which is which is um got. Vests and spikes from like every major games that he's been at all the way around the room and his medals and, 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 you, you, you know, it's, it's incredible. You just look around the room and you're like, wow, mo- most people in a career would take one of those, you know, one of those championships and to have medaled at it. And he's just a year in, year out. What what he's done is is phenomenal.
0: Let's move on to some other parts of your job as well, Andy. Technology is one thing um, which obviously is becoming a huge factor in almost every aspect, whether it's Fitbit, whether it's Stride, whether it's Strava, whether it's, you know, in terms of the performance side, should we say, of running. In terms of what you do day to day, though, is there is it largely just still going on a lot of feel and a lot of kind of, you know, your intuition when you're looking at things, or are you using sort of data and technology a lot more these days?
1: definitely. Yes, is the answer to that a lot more? A lot more data, a lot more technology, a lot more information. It's important to know what information is in, is important and and what's going to help you. The period of time in in the intensive rehab unit was absolutely brilliant for me for, from that from that perspective because we were able to use so from from a strength diagnostics point of view, we were I was able to start to marry up some of the stuff that you'd see, some of the physical presentation that you'd see. So um, and and marry that to strength diagnostics and what people were able to produce from a force perspective around an individual joint. We were able to sort of map what good was um, and and what wasn't so good. And and you know some people might go talk about symmetry around limbs and stuff. And we were well, if you if symm- if you're symmetrically poor, you're symmetrically poor. So let's not just look at symmetry. Let's let's understand what's good. And I was really pushed on around what is good because. You started to see some incredible athletes and some of the stuff they produced would take you to a different level around actually the the, the force you need to produce around the foot ankle, for example, it is far higher than we thought originally. That was really useful. and then at British athletics, there's, there's a biomechanist and, and the biomechanist will start to give you stuff around stride length and contact times and lots of information there. and away from the physio stuff, working with some of the coaches you uh, and, and the the physiologists, and you'll get stuff like the fifteen hundred meters, for example. They've got a load of data on each hundred meters in various races for each athlete. So you so you know exactly what um, Jakob Ingebrigtsen's last seven hundred meters was, and you know where he pushed, and you know where he where he held back, and you know what he did. But then the, the physiologists will also inform stuff around, and this this is this is interesting stuff around um, warm ups and 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 producing a bit of lactic in a warm-up. They'll do a primer, they call it, where they'll run, if you're going to do a 1500, you might run 150 or 200 metres at 1500 metre pace just to start to produce a bit of lactic. If you produce a little bit of lactic, then um, without particularly fatiguing yourself, then your system is primed ready and you've got the, the buffers for that lactic are already in place so in the race, when you produce lactic, there isn't a lag. You're already ready to mug it. You're ready to, you know, you're going to ambush that lactic straight away. You, you, there's not, a, there's not a process where it's like, whoa, lactic buildup, and then the body responds. It's it's primed, ready. So just some really nice, interesting bits that that, that are put in place um, to support the athletes, and 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 that's yeah, that's like the science and the medicine combining really well, and the strength diagnostics and the medicine combining well, and. If, if, if your team works effectively, the stuff you can do and the, the, the information that you've got is incredible.
0: Moving on to the pinnacle of sport, I suppose, certainly from your point of view anyway, in, in your world, the Olympics. I suppose in many ways, you know, for both sporting achievement and the industry in terms of global exposure, of running, athletics, and also from a media and sponsorship perspective, the Olympics is absolutely the pinnacle. I mean, it's simply on another level, really. What's it like being in that environment?
1: you you meet exceptional people who do exceptional things and um and who push you know the 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 application and dedication of these guys is sensational and and to be around that on a regular basis if, like it has to drive you on as an individual you you can't stand back and watch people dedicate their lives and you see people hurting themselves physically on on a daily basis with training and pushing on wanting the detail and, and, and engaging and, and, and just being trying to be the best they can be in, in everything. And, and you know, it's around, it's around diet, it's around psychology, it's around training, it's around rest and recovery. It's e- everything that they try and do, they try and do to the best of their ability and the, sacrifice um, uh, quite, quite a lot in terms of social life and, and as, as young athletes, obviously. And the, the level that they need to be at to, to compete is, is incredible. So for, for me, it's, it's, it's a real driver to want to, to kind of enable them and support them as, as best I can. I probably work with more Olympic athletes than any other physio in the country, actually. Look, thinking about it, because, um, I worked with a lot of British athletics people and then the guys who went through the rehab unit and that in that four-year cycle um, and I think we had over 30 medalists came through and and so you, you just you just see people who are the best at what they do they don't leave things to chance and and you know people talk about perfect practice and um, so not practice makes perfect it's perfect practice makes perfect so they, they, they want to get it right and um, that that's been that's been a, a a true privilege to be around, to witness, to be exposed to, to absorb, and to and to learn from. Really,
0: um, really interesting aspect of the running industry, obviously, is footwear. You know, the whole running shoe side of it. Um, in the introduction, I hinted at the fact that you've got a passion for foot mechanics, something that is closely related to uh, footwear design. Obviously, also gait analysis, which is a big part of how running shoes are, I suppose, sold to consumers these days as well. What are your thoughts on that side of things?
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fascinating world, um, and I think that the new technology around, like the the carbon plates and the, and the foam that's in shoes now, is is making it is having a big impact on 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 the industry and the sport and performances as well. Yeah, gait analysis is is really uh, really important. There's a whole industry just around that. It's about the quality of the person. Again, it's this because here we are again getting scientific information, getting support. We we might be getting. The pressures as, as somebody walks or not or runs on a pressure mat, and we might be looking at a video of somebody moving and, and trying to make judgments on that. Um, again, f- for me, I've I, I work under a structure of, of well, of structure, function, movement, and metabolism with it with each athlete. So, I want to know the structure, the lower limb structure of somebody, and, and what so whether they're bowed anywhere in their lower limb, or if they're if they're the opposite of that and they're valgus in the lower limb, and then. Looking at a foot, there's there's a there's a huge amount of work that you can do just looking at a foot, um, and whether that foot is a rigid cavers foot, so a, a stiff high arch foot, or a, a mobile high arch foot, a mobile cavers foot. There's there's a lot of detail that you can really really go into, and 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 essentially, I think sometimes. You know, you chuck somebody on a treadmill and watch them run, and you can you can see a certain amount. But we're in a privileged world where we can we can drill into huge amounts of detail.
0: So, so just putting in there, would you think it's a good idea to pop someone on a treadmill in a shop, for instance? Because I mean, you know, it happens, and it's and obviously it's a, it's a big part of the industry. Is that a good idea? And then to be able to give an informed opinion about what somebody should wear it can be quite controversial this area can't it? but it's it's interesting to hear your thoughts
1: well you'll see patterns and you'll certainly see the way somebody moves and and if you look at different speeds and you look from behind from the side and stuff you can start to put get a picture together i think it's very much to down to the skill of the person who's looking and making hopefully an informed choice unfortunately i've i've seen some stuff so even fairly recently i saw somebody and they they brought around um, they someone had done some running analysis on them and set themselves up as a as a running expert essentially to look at to look at something and and part of it part of the report it said something about uh, their foot ankle and it said look when you when you're pushing off you're using your foot ankle a bit too much I was just staggered that this person's put, setting themselves up as, as an expert and, and saying you're using your foot ankle too much for propulsion. Uh, r- running's about calves and quads. That, that's that's fundamentally where, where you're at. The foot ankle at any speed, like I say, is, is your key. Propulsive component, once you get over about, um, you get up to like six meters per second, seven meters per second, so you, you, your hip comes in a little bit more, but your, your foot ankle is absorbing force and propelling you every single every single step of the way. So it, it needs it needs to be really good and and your and your foot mechanics and how how well you come off the floor and where your contact is important. Um, so essentially, yes, it is. It is uh, to go back to the question: looking at someone run on a treadmill is useful if you've got some reasonable knowledge behind it. I think you can you can advise and and it can and it can be
0: helpful. You're listening to the Running Industry Podcast with this week's guest Andy Walling. I'd also like to take this chance to point you in the direction of our Patreon page so if you want to help us along the way, we'd be really grateful of any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com. Reviews and ratings also help the podcast, so it would be amazing if you could give us a little review or a rating, and of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. A very interesting part of the running industry at the moment is um the new carbon plated shoes. For those people who might not be aware of them, these are shoes such as the Nike Alpha Fly and the uh, and the and the next percent shoe, which have got quite a lot of volume of foam cushion in there underneath and in the Alpha Fly these are these springs as well, and lots of other brands out there. Let's not just mention Nike. What are your thoughts on this emerging trend, should we call it, Andy, and how it might influence a runner's form and their performance?
1: I, th- I think it's it's uh, a really interesting area, and certainly, like I know, we, there are, every brand is doing it, and, and they're catching up. But Nike certainly have led the way and their their R and D department. You know, must, I hope they got a big bonus for for what they've done because they've absolutely smashed it, haven't they? Um, and and the combination of the foam and the plate seems to be the key thing. So that the, the the density of the foam and how it responds with the plate seems seems to be really important and. Certainly, there seems to be um, a pretty reasonable performance gain, and I think psychologically, definitely, athletes believe that the Nike shoes give an advantage. Do
0: you think there's a bit of placebo going on there? Then uh, I,
1: I don't think I don't think it's placebo. I think I think there is an advantage. I, I'm not sure why. Maybe some of the other brands or people wearing other brands don't feel quite as good as the Nike shoe. And and um, I, I did actually get to have a go in, in one of them, and and I ran along. Um, it was actually up in font recently. I I borrowed a pair of shoes. I put them on. They definitely made me run a bit quicker. I I was, I was like, yeah, running much quicker. I was doing some three minute reps and I was running much quicker. At altitude than I would at, than I had been previously at sea level. So 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 this essentially that 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 little bit of that spring as you get to that toe off it it, it gives you a little bit of it. there's something in the foot called the windlass mechanism um, where the plantar fascia under your foot is it contracts as the foot foot shortens and if you think of like a triangle the triangle or the peak of your triangle goes a bit higher and the bottom of the triangle is the plantar fascia and it pulls a bit tight and then as you get to toe off um the triangle drops and the and the and the bottom of the triangles the plantar fascia at the bottom of that triangle sort of springs and you get free energy so there's a free energy component of running um that that, that just happens naturally and and the shoe gives you that ping every single step of the way it gives you a little bit of a ping now then you get to the point of well do you want to wear those shoes all the time and and I would say at the moment, although the jury's out, and this is kind of a, a knee jerk, but my knee jerk would be, no, you probably don't want to be wearing the shoes all the time. You don't want to be training in them all the time. You want to almost put them on and and feel that effect on, on your race day and, and run that bit quicker. Um, but the general chat amongst uh, coaches and athletes would certainly be that they do give you a little bit of an advantage, that they do feel good, but not everyone. And there have been a couple of athletes, a couple of uh, funded athletes, who one of them in particular who put the spikes on and really struggled because of the way he runs. He really struggled with how he was hitting the floor and coming off the floor and what it felt like. Uh, and he was doing some 300s and literally took him off, chucked them to the side, put his other spikes on and was running. He was then running quicker in the non-plated shoes, going back to what he was used to because, because he his mechanics and the way he moves perhaps weren't quite as suited to that, 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 that process and the way that the, the plate gives you that spring.
0: As with anything, it's not going to suit everybody. You know, that's the thing with, you know, anything, whether it's a pair of shoes or anything else in your life, it doesn't always work for everybody.
1: But there's, a, there's a whole lot of research and, and work being done on this stuff and lots of testing. And I can't, I kind of think, you know, would we'd be better trying to, promote this and you know celebrating the fact that people are running quick and um that you know yeah you can embrace technology to a degree the the only the only for me the, the caveat to that is a little bit around the the expense of them um and and young athlete. i coach a series of young athletes and it's like you know you get parents and, and the athletes themselves say oh well i have to have a pair and like, well you don't have to have a pair and they go, yeah i do because i'm at a disadvantage otherwise and people are going to run quicker than me because they've got the shoes on and that's that's where this is this is where it's sort of evolved to. And um, that that's a it's a bit of a shame because running essentially is you just need a pair of trainers. Well, now you need a pair of 250 pound trainers.
0: I don't think any of us would want to see it going that way. The sport will do where it becomes a, this is the wrong word, but a rich person's sport or person who can, you know, can afford that. So let's hope it doesn't move in that direction too much.
1: But I do think we should use the whole process to kind of like be, instead of being down on the sport and people saying, oh, well, it's, we're using this technology and maybe we should like we should we should be trying to promote the sport
0: much more. Absolutely. I don't know any other sport that uses lots of technical things, to be honest with you, Andy, whether it's cycling, whether it's, you know, motorsport, whether it is swimming when they were using their suits and all the rest of it. I think progress needs to happen. And it's just the fact that, you know, it needs to happen in a good way and it needs to happen for the right reasons. And uh, you know, footwear are really important to everyone. So um, we will see anyway where it goes. But it's all fascinating stuff. It really, really yeah. is. Just moved on to your coaching side of things as well. You coach a number of top UK athletes. Is this something you'd like to do more of in the future, or is it supplemental to your physio career? Um, <laughs> the, the,
1: the, there's no there's no real career pathway is there for coaching. There's, there's no like my my coaching is um, uh, all done voluntarily, and I absolutely love it. it. It's an area I would love to dedicate a little bit more time to in lots of ways, but it, it's it's not certainly not going to pay a mortgage that's for sure you know you look around it's its one of the challenges isn't it of the sport um, the, the, the coaching the coaching world is voluntary and the, and the and the officials and all that sort of stuff you know there isn't a lot of money in the sport uh so it probably does boil down a little bit to that I, I mean I, I I think it can go really well with the with the physiotherapy and and, and, I, and I love doing doing both things but the very nature of my work ha- has probably restricted me a little bit from a coaching point of view the world that I've been exposed to and and, and the people that I've been exposed to has, has really helped so you know sitting next to an SNC coach for four and a half years and a physiologist for four and a half years at Bisham um really informed the coaching process and, and a better understanding particularly of the physiology and, and yeah and then the C the of, of the strength and conditioning the, the conditioning bit um doing that alongside the strength it, it's it's been really valuable, and then I've I've managed I've been lucky enough as well to rub shoulders with some of the best endurance coaches uh, um, in Britain, and you're able to pick the brains and you see what they're doing, and you can you know people are open, and you talk George Gandhi recently passed away, didn't he? Sadly, um, I went on a number of camps and comps with George, and like he was he was never short of a story, but he was also very open and happy to discuss principles and what he did and but it would it would be nice to spend more time with the athletes
0: yeah obviously looking at athletes in general you've got a very good view of I suppose the, the world of endurance running from what you do in in your day job but also just in your in and around you know athletics and in and around the sport what are your thoughts on the you know the endurance side of running let's call it and athletics in the world at the moment I mean it's been an amazing summer for records and people running very very quickly there's a lot of change going on at British Athletics, obviously.
1: Yeah, the British Athletics is, is, is in a little bit of a state of flux at the moment and certainly in the endurance world it is. Um, I've been really excited to see the progress of, of endurance, of the endurance world in Britain over the last few years. You know, we've, we've probably, I've been in the doldrums a little bit and if it wasn't for Mo, you, you look at, you look at medals and they're not really there, they're non-existent. It, it's been, it's been brilliant to see the progress and, and it's, you look at, you look at fifteen hundred metre running, for example, and you go, Well, we've got Jake Whiteman who's who's just run a 329, we've got Charlie Grice who's run three thirty, and uh, we've got Josh Coor, who's run three thirty-one. Uh, that's that's incredible running from from those guys. And that's almost back to the co cram over era and, and you know, and Peter Elliott and people like that. And then at eight hundred meter running, you have got an incredible, you know, Max Bergen, this young kid coming through, and he's dragging other juniors along. We've got juniors running one forty four, one forty five now. And that's before we even get into the women's side of the sport now. And we've got Laura Muir and Gemma Riki who are, who are tearing the track up and running, you know, breaking British records and Laura Waitman running quicker and quicker all the time. And, and then up to the marathon, you've got, you know, a, a 226 from uh, Steph Twelve and, and you've got Charlotte Purgey running, run, run, starting, to, starting to run these world-class times or starting to take on some of the East Africans, which has been a massive, massive barrier for a lot of athletes, I think, over a period of time. There's been a lot of hard work behind the scenes gone on at the the elite level and I think there there are a lot of very good people in in the endurance world who've been fundamental to, I think, enabling some, some of these performances and the London Marathon has invested Heavily as well in in altitude camps, but um, you will hopefully continue to see more progress. It's it's great to be around it and see it, and and hopefully support the process and the system. It's not perfect. There's there's definitely work that could be done, and it can be incredibly challenging. Um, and sometimes you're dragged around from one place to another, and every every job has its challenges. But the bottom line is it's it's a privileged existence, and and if if endurance running continues to thrive, then that for me is is fantastic
0: you know as with any kind of sport I suppose in every any part of any facet of any industry you've got to have that background you've got to have that foundation and I think that it sounds like the groundwork that people like yourself some of the other coaches and obviously the actual you know the governing bodies of certain sports have done over the last eight to ten years off the back of things like 2012 are actually now coming to fruition which is, is absolutely brilliant to see and you know just as a layman shall we say looking at the sport um, these days and you know I'm an an interested and I'm a fan let's say certainly still of you know of endurance racing and running and I think it's been uh, it's been a great year and and the future does look really really good so and to have somebody like yourself there Andy doing that um, doing the job that you do is only going to bolster that so uh, Congratulations on what you've done today.
1: Yeah, I think um there's there's a lot of work to be done, isn't there, about just trying to raise the profile of the sport. For me, for me person like y- you look back to the to those great years and <clears throat> I remember as a kid watching world record attempts by Brits on the telly and, and 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 it was it was prime viewing and you'd leave the nine o'clock news to watch Steve Ovet try and try and break a world fifteen hundred meter race in Rieti or something like that. And I've mentioned today a bit about mo going to do the our world record he, even people within the sport be like oh did he d- i didn't know he'd done that didn't know he tried to do that or did that yeah, and you, you, it's just not visible um so I, I'd, lo- I'd love to see the the profile um raised a little bit and i think i think it would be really nice if people actually started to recognize individual athletes and knew a bit more about them you know there's some interesting characters in the sport like we know kipchoge is and and and, and certainly know a, a couple of, of of other athletes generally if, you, if you're if you're interested in the sport but the sport itself, I think, probably needs to promote athletes better and, and, and broaden, broaden the, the fan base in that sense. And then probably there's a little bit of work to do around how you put events on and what events look like. The package needs to, needs to be better. I am a bit of a traditionalist, a bit of a purist as well. And I actually think we've got a great product and we should be able to to market it a bit better. And when we've had things like the World Champs 2017 in Britain, you sold out the stadium, no problem. And there is an interest. We just need to build on that a little bit more and promote some of these great athletes and promote what they're doing. And you've got some amazing people doing amazing things and they're interesting. And and, and we, we just need to push that a little bit.
0: I guess in this day and age, he or she who shouts loudest, unfortunately, isn't it, when it comes to social media and uh, and sort of TV and you know sports such as Premier League football, which obviously gets infinitely more column inches, should we call it, whether it's on a website or on, on in print than anything else. So it is going to be a bit of a challenge. Moving on to you, Andy, you were a talented athlete in your younger years. Do you ever wish you'd followed that as a career path as opposed to, let's say, the support, the physio, the coaching? Um
1: I think I, I think I gave it a pretty good whirl, to be honest. I, I there's a there's a bit of me that would love to go back and, and uh with a little bit more understanding about the physiology side of things and how to train, probably a little bit more effectively. I could have been definitely could have been a better athlete. Um I was hampered a little bit by injuries, um, hence a sort of an interest probably generated in, in therapy from that point of view. But also I, I um I suffered really, really badly with something called cluster headaches. They weren't diagnosed at the time. They didn't know how to treat the headaches. And I'd end up with like a three-month block of of headaches where I'd start with a pretty severe headache and and it'd just be one a day and it'd build up to like three, four, five a day or in 24 hours. They'd come sort of every, every two years, pretty much from the point where one finished, it was almost two years exactly to the day they'd come back again. Look, I loved, I loved the training. I loved getting stuck in. I, I really did dedicate myself to, to training hard and trying to be the best I could be. But I, you know, I gave, I gave it my best shot. I wasn't quite good enough, I guess at the end of the day, that's probably an honest analysis.
0: You've got to be happy with certain things in life. Maybe that was, you know, the destiny of Andy Warren as it were. You know, didn't quite make it as a top athlete, but, you know, has gone on to make it as a top physio. How about that for a little kind of synopsis of your of your career to date and still many more years to come, I'm sure, Andy. We're gonna move on to now some quick fires at the end. Your answers can be as long as you like, obviously. What do you see as your greatest work life achievement to date? Um I th- I think
1: um, going going to the Commonwealth Games probably so far as the biggest global event that I've been to was 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 I've done a Youth Olympics and and a, and a European Youth Olympics as well and and obviously lots of lots of athletics things but as a multi sport games uh, going going to the Commonwealths in the Gold Coast was was pretty special and, and seeing a number of people that you've worked with over a period of time on a journey and and, and achieving achieving things was was great but actually the fact that for me it got me to that point where I felt like I was able to contribute to that team and support the medical team and um and the other the other therapists and, and the lead therapist and sort of be a part of that but but feel like I contributed was 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 pretty special
0: and where do you see yourself in say five years from now
1: well the, the next olympic cycle is going to be uh it's pretty much 4 years from now so 3 years after tokyo we'll be into we'll be into the next one so um the, the endurance world is like we said before in a state of flux so uh, like I, I want to stay involved in in elite sport i i love i love the endurance World, it's it's. I guess it's a small world, and uh, there isn't too much competition from a physio point of view. In in some ways, really, Matt. All I want to do is just keep getting better. So I I look at um, I'm doing I'm doing a little bit of work. You mentioned foot ankle. I'm doing a little bit of work uh, with a with a new teaching company, uh, and we're setting up a a foot ankle course. Um, So I hope I hope to be able to do a little bit of teaching. With that, and just to continue to, to increase the knowledge, it's it's a it's a weird, it's a weird one because you learn you learn more and more all the time as you go along, and and, and it's an evolving process. And when you when you really uh, get into the detail of stuff, there there is so much to learn, and and it's a real fun journey as well because learning is. Uh, something that really appeals to me and I get a buzz out of it and you know I I, I want to be excellent I I don't want to just plod along I'm really driven in that sense so I don't really I've never really had those sort of career aims around I I want to be the lead physio for British Athletics or I want to be a premiership rugby club or a Premier League football club I've never I've never really had that sort of ambition it's 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 been more um around just being a therapist that can deliver at the top level really effectively with with a with a with a very very solid base a real good solid understanding that that means I can essentially in the in the background quietly enable athletes to to perform at their at their very best and that's really what gets me out of bed in the morning I guess
0: yeah, it'd be a nice footnote for you to actually uh, look back, I suppose, wouldn't it, on your career and kind of go, I helped X, Y, and Z get to where they got to. I think uh, this probably must be really satisfying to be able to do that as well. I would have thought for the next five years, Andy, you've got plenty on your plate and uh, and beyond as well with everything in your life and obviously uh, with the family and so on, hopefully just enjoying life. Tell us something, Andy, that people would not know about Andy Wallin. Keep it clean
1: oh that's, that's ruined it then oh. <laughs> um i that people wouldn't know well people who know me would know this but generally uh, a cup of tea Matt, is a very very important thing to me so a cup of tea and good cake is is um fundamental to my world and uh, i've i've got into loose leaf tea can you believe so yeah i'm i'm, I'm a Salford lad i'm proud of my roots i'm going to be disowned by 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 much of sulphur, probably do a builder's brew, but I, I do like a loose leaf. Well, there are regions in India that I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of. So, um, Assam, Darjeeling, and Goom Tea probably are, are, the, are the places where I'm, I'm I'm quite keen on getting my tea from.
0: What do you know? What this has opened my eyes. It really has. I knew you about go. the cake, Andy, but I didn't know about the tea. And actually,
1: <laughs> yeah, the cake—the cake's a bit out there, and everyone yeah. knows I'm a, I'm a, I can't. I, I've got something wrong with my legs. I can't walk past cake, like, um, like many
0: of us. <laughs> I suppose the good thing about loose leaf now is—is is that's the way the world is starting to go. You know, with plastic in tea bags and all that kind of thing. I think you're—you're you're obviously a pioneer.
1: That, yeah, I'm, I'm blazing a trail. I am blazing a trail. So yeah, I've, um, Fortnum and Mason. Um, there are other tea outlets available, but there's some nice Fortnum and Mason tea. And um, there's, a, there's a place called Team Tea in Oxford, who, who um, go to specific tea gardens around the, around, around the world, China and in India, essentially, and, um, and get their tea. And I've also recently seen there's, a, there's an English there's an English tea bush, and you can buy it, and um, it's in Cornwall. Uh, but so I plan to I plan to buy an English tea bush and grow my own leaves, Matt.
0: This is a whole new podcast, Andy. We should have started with this. You know, (laughs) forget your wine and your vineyards. We're going, we're going full on tea. You can stick your wine. There's nothing beats a nice brew. And we'll end it on that. Really grateful to you for your time today. Been lovely talking to you. Thanks very much, Andy. Real pleasure, Matt. Well, a massive thanks to Andy Walling, lead endurance physiotherapist at British Athletics. And it's great to know the future of the sport is in his hands. With two more episodes to come in this season of the Running Industry Podcast, I just wanted to take this chance to really thank everybody who's subscribed and downloaded the shows up to now. Remember that reviews and ratings also really help the podcast in gaining exposure. So it would be great if you could give us a rating and a review. And of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on social media via at Run Industry. A quick mention again that we'd be really grateful for any support via Patreon Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com where you can catch all of the episodes of the show. Keep listening, keep spreading the word, and we'll keep making the podcast. I'm Matt Ward, and the Running Industry Podcast is an Amplify production. Thanks for listening, and until the next time, goodbye.